The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. It's not like, oh, I'm moving. I can't train my dog. I mean, just go train him for a few minutes and then put him up and keep moving stuff. So I, I spent a lot of time doing it. it. You know, our methods are a little bit different and uh, our dogs are different too. Every dog's different. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? You train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field or prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. And welcome back to another week of GDIY. This is Nick and Adam coming at you with a episode that's been asked about quite a bit and we're finally bringing it to you about force fetch that's right man force fetch big drum roll here we go (laughs) yeah it's uh (laughs) you know people are gonna see force fetch pop up on their screen and go oh man they're actually gonna do an episode on force fetch yeah we're brave take some kahunas man (laughs) (laughs) but here's the deal we don't, I don't want to say we don't know what we're doing. We've both force fetched, you know, I've done one dog and we talk about that and you've done a couple and we've, we've helped some people through it, but, uh, we're not professionals. We're not super experienced in force fetch. We just want to help other people. I spent some time on the phone this week with a couple guys, uh, not on force fetch, but just helping them through dog stuff. And that's really what we want to do. We want to help other people yeah. out. So we're not trying to claim to be the experts in force fetch because <laughs> yeah. we're far from it. So if you hear something out of this, this week is just kind of an overview of force fetch, what you need to consider and know going into the program. And next week's episode, part two, is going to be more of the how-to. But if you hear something that you just vehemently disagree with, we hear you. There's a million ways to skin a cat. Sure. We're not experts. We're not saying this is the way to do it. We're saying this is a way to do it. And really, we, we're just covering a lot of topics, especially when when we were first starting out. You know, it's, it's information that we wish we would have had and information that we gathered from more That's experienced it. people that, hey, I'm about to force fetch my dog. What do I do? And this is what they communicated to us, what we learned along the way doing it ourselves. And... Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, we're not experts. I think I've said that like three times now. We just want to share the limited success we've had because, you know, when I first started out, I didn't really have anyone that was guiding me through it. Yeah. I did with my second dog. So... Well, and I want to help people out. That's why we're doing this. And it's kind of like a lot of people are afraid to to advise and help other people out on a lot of stuff, but specifically force fetch because it's such a touchy subject for a lot of people. And so it's kind of like they, they keep themselves from helping other people because they don't want 
somebody coming at them like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, guys, if you if, if this is your first episode, go back and listen to the other ones. There's yeah. a million things that we don't know what the heck we're talking about, and we're just trying to help the best way we can. Yeah. I'm, so <laughs> here's an analogy for you. I've cooked like two briskets in my life, right? Do you're I an need, expert. Yeah. Well, do I need to cook <laughs> 10 of them before I talk about it with someone else? No. I can cook one and have conversation yep. with someone yep. about it, right? So. Doesn't make me an expert, yep. but I want to share what I have done. <laughs> and, and if everybody's sitting here listening already, like, all right, these Jesus, guys we get are nuts. It. Yeah, just uh, just get to the episode. Well, it, we trust me, we're we're putting this out there. We're gonna get some some feedback on this. Hopefully, a lot of good and uh, people saying, "Man, thanks for that information." But we're gonna get somebody out there and. And they're just going to say, I, I disagree with this. Okay, well, explain why, because we want to learn. But again, this is just how we did it. We found success in it. And so we're just trying to share share what limited knowledge we have. And that's what this whole podcast is about. Just do it. Do it yourselfers. Help another do it yourselfers. So, so yeah, now that we're, we hit on that safety briefing, which we hit on in the episode as well, <laughs> uh, no real big giveaway going on on Instagram and Facebook that closed out. Congratulations to uh, to the big winner there. Yeah, Paul McDowell yep. ended up getting that big giveaway. So I know he was excited about that, but no no real big giveaways. We do have our regular monthly giveaway for the spotlight. So if you're interested in that, be sure to hit up Patreon, patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself. It helps us out, but also at the end of the month, we do give a give 10% of our Patreon proceeds to the spotlight of the month. And then, uh, so far every spotlight company's offered up some swag and we give that to a Patreon subscriber every month. So, uh, if, if you're interested in something like that, it's nothing major, but it's, Hey, it's free shirts and hats and stickers and all kinds of fun stuff. So yeah. check that out and throw us a dollar or five a month and have a chance at or, getting some or a hundred, whatever. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Why not? Um, but yeah, other than that, we're, we'll get to the episode here in a second. Please remember to hit that subscribe button, rate review, share with a friend. And, uh, yeah, with, the, with a, such a important topic and questionable topic right now, if we get something wrong, let us know. If you have a different method or viewpoint on something, let us know. G- uh, our email is gundogityourself at gmail.com. We're always happy to learn and discuss with other people. So be sure to hit us up. And unless you have anything else, let's get to it. Let's get it. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you could need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, Adam, it's finally time to uh, talk about our most favorite topic when it comes to dog training in the world, and that's force fetch. Yeah, your favorite topic, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's we've been holding our breaths with anticipation to get to this point. Uh, if you guys can't tell, force fetch is not amongst my favorite topics. No, not because it's not important or anything, but on the contrary, it's so important that it's it's probably the most consistent question besides e collars that we get asked all the time, and and it's kind of. It just gets old. It's not the most fun training to begin with, but when you're constantly talking about it, it can kind of wear on you, get old, but it is extremely important, and so we're going to cover it, and uh, we're going to do what we have to do. Yeah, I think that's why you're kind of worn out on it is you've spent a lot of time helping other people with it and answering questions, so you're worn out on it. Um, we're both We both have very limited experience with this. I've only successfully force fetched one dog you know i can't really count my first dog that i just threw up on the tailgate (laughs) started pinching his ear and was like man why doesn't this work 
You, um, you learned from one and actually trained a second one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I had a lot of help on my second one. So. so, Well, so with that being said, let's just go ahead and start this off with with our safety briefing is what we're going to call it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is obviously a, a very touchy subject for a lot of people. Some people don't agree with the name of it. Some people don't agree with the whole program in general. Um, like you said, we're not the most experienced. We're not pro trainers. We haven't done hundreds of dogs. We've done a few dogs each. And we're not saying that this is the only way. We're saying that this is what worked for us. Me and you did a very similar approach, but there was difference differences in some of the areas too. And that's really what you're going to find in a lot of these successful force fetch programs is while they're all a little bit different, they're really similar in a lot of ways. And so if, if you're that guy that when we get into this, we're going to say that one thing that you don't agree with or kind of gets you hot under the hat and you want to shoot us an email telling us we don't know what we're talking about. Hey, shoot it to us just because I want to learn. But I'm telling you right now, I'm we aren't putting this out there telling everybody this is the way to force fetch. Yeah, this is not a force, a force fetch clinic. <laughs> yeah. um, this is us sharing our limited success and our failures. And we're going to tell you what's worked for us and what hasn't. Let's start uh, by talking about just an overview of force fetch, right? Yeah. So this week it's, it's probably going to be mostly just the overview and the important things to consider when you're getting into it and stuff like that. Next week will probably be the individual steps and baby steps along the entire method and more how to on next week's episode. But there's, there's a lot of things that you need to realize before committing to doing force fetch that there, there's a lot of considerations and you need to be a hundred percent honest with yourself on whether you feel like you can actually adhere to that. And, And after you hear a lot of this stuff or outsider help or something, you might at the end of it still decide I'm more comfortable going to a pro trainer, but it's one of those things. And and really there's no other better way to start out uh, on this topic than why you should consider doing it yourself. And my take on that is no matter it's your first time or your 10th time, it doesn't matter when you go through a force fetch program with your dog, it is going to strengthen your bond and you're going to learn so much more about that dog throughout this process than I would say probably any other training that I'm aware of. Yeah, I think so. And vice versa. The dog's going to get attached to you. You come out with a completely different dog and a completely different bond with that dog when it's said and done. Yeah, you're really missing out on an opportunity to learn a lot about your dog, which can bleed over into other training. Um, it, it's going to teach you how much pressure your dog can handle. It's going to teach you how your dog learns because even though it's force fetch, I mean, you hit on a little bit, Nick, that it, it's probably named incorrectly. It's not all force taking the dog through this. It's actually, if you, if you understand the program and and you're going to hear me say this a lot, even more than normal, understand the why other than the how. This process, if you understand the why and you can pick up on these dogs' mannerisms, kind of what I was talking about, you're going to learn more about your dog. There's actually not that much force in this program. Yeah, there's really not. There's really not. The praise portion of it is just as important. Right. Probably more important than the force part. Yeah, it it is. And so, I mean, like you said, it's force fetch kind of gets a bad rap because of the wording and the image that everybody associates it with, because we've all seen the guy that, you know, they've been training the dogs for 40 years. They're no longer willing to learn. They've done it the same way for 40 years and that's the way they do it. And they'll go throw the dog up on the table and throw a bumper 20 feet away and just drag the dog down the, down the bench by the ear saying, fetch, fetch, fetch. Yeah. That, that doesn't make any sense. It it doesn't, but I've seen it a lot and I haven't been in this world very long. I mean, it's this, I've seen it way too many times to count and it's, it's frustrating because it's like, man, you just skipped a ton of steps between 
trying to get the dog to fetch 20 feet. Uh, It just, and that's what I did my first time. I watched YouTube videos. I read books. I talked to some guys about it, but no one was really willing to, I wasn't involved with NAVDA at that point. No one was really willing to, to dedicate time to help me out. So the ear pinch is what everyone associates. When they think of force fetch, they think of ear pinch. Yeah. And, or collars, uh, yeah. or toe hitch. Yeah. And I thought that I had to go straight into that, trying to get the bumper into the dog's yeah. mouth. And, and, and everything you read is like, don't lose the battle right. between you and the dog. But, <laughs> yeah. but there's so many steps before that that make winning that battle so much yeah. easier. I mean, it's not even a battle if you set it up right. Well, it, it, again, it's it's the wording, I think, mostly that, that it paints a picture. I mean, words paint pictures in people's heads. And especially if you get one of those old school guys that, did you force break your dog? You're, you're taking two of those yeah. words then. And I mean, I'm not the biggest PC guy out there. Like the word force doesn't bother me, but I catch myself all the time when people are just talking about breaking their dogs, even mm-hmm. in, when it comes to field work, I'm like, look, you know, you may have broken dogs 20 years ago. I train dogs now. Right. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's just kind of getting over that negative connotation. This is not, not a program that first day up on the table you're dragging your dog by the end of the table and like we're just getting at and we're gonna definitely touch on this more here here in a little bit if you build up correctly and slowly there's not that much force associated with this program yeah if you're having to put a whole lot of force on the dog again my opinion is you probably skimped a lot of the steps and i think the more steps you put into something, the better product you get in the end. So I have a tendency to want to rush to the end, whether it's dog training or if I'm building something, you know, if I'm cutting wood and screwing boards together, I'm like, let's get through it. Let's get it done. (laughs) Well, you get to the end product and it's not nearly as nice. Your wife's like, that's not coming in the house. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But if you take your time on it and you make sure everything's just right before moving on to the next step, then you end up with a much better product in the end. Right. So here, here's kind of a, a scenario or a question that, that we hear a lot, and, and I'll let you respond to it. But my dog naturally retrieves. Why would I go through force fetch? It's unnecessary on, in my eyes. Because then the it's a, force fetch is a set of rules. You have to retrieve. And it's great that you want to retrieve anyways, but there's going to be a time where I'm going to make you go get a bird. Um, Maybe you feel like going on to hunt the next bird and you don't feel like retrieving it. I'm going to make you retrieve it. Maybe it landed in the water and you don't feel like going in the water. I'm going to make you retrieve it. And by gradually taking the dog through the process, it doesn't have to be, again, it doesn't have to be that forceful the dog just understands, like any other command, I have to do this. It's it's not an option. Right. And that's just it. You're you're establishing an expectation with these dogs to to mold a good, dependable retrieve that keeps game fit for the table. Is is what you're doing. Yep. And and my response to a lot of those people is, okay, well, your dog is a natural runner too. It naturally searches does that mean that you don't do any training in the field with the, those pieces? Sure. Why is it okay? That's a good to, point. Why is it okay to train in the field around their natural desire to search and hunt, but it's not okay to do the training with retrieving? It's it's all about expectations, and and if you don't have any desire to do this, that's that's fine. Just you know, there's there's a lot of testing and trials that you get into that you're gonna need to to have this finished retrieve whether you don't see it's necessary for your hunting or your or your preference yeah and there's some guys that are like i don't care if the if the dog brings the bird all the way back to me or not i want to hunt with my dog i don't care about testing and stuff like that Uh, a couple thoughts there number one there's nothing wrong with that if you don't want the dog to bring the bird all the way back to you that's fine as long as it some people say, as long as the dog shows me where the dead bird is so yep. I can get to it, fine. If the bird is crippled, it sure is nice to have a dog that will retrieve the bird. Yeah. 
And then if it's crippled and the dog brings it halfway back, now the bird's getting away yeah. before you can get to it. So that's why the rules with retrieving and NAVDA, for example, are pretty specific about it. it has to retrieve to hand. It can't drop it at your feet. It's for the sake of totally recovering the game. The game. Which is what you're the out there for. I mean, whether you're hunting, I mean, that's why you're out there is to shoot, shoot game and bring it back. And right. Should be eating it, and you're not just discarding it. Hopefully, yeah. you're not that type of guy. But that's the whole point is getting the game back. And if you shoot a bird, and you're not doing everything that you can to get that bird back in your hand, you're kind of missing uh, an important piece into that entire process. I feel like. Yeah, and the other thing is the dog not destroying it, and that's kind of what yeah. you're heading towards. Is maybe the dog's a natural retriever, but that doesn't mean that the dog, like we said, is going to bring it all the way back. And that doesn't mean that the dog knows how to hold the bird without damaging it. So that's part of the force fetch, or if we want to be politically correct, the trained retrieve process. (laughs) Finish retrieve, thank you very much. There you go. Is to teach the dog how to hold the bird. Yeah. How to, you know, where to hold the bird in its mouth and not to chomp down too hard on it. Not to crunch it, not to pluck it, not whatever. And I mean, again, I haven't been in this world forever. I'm not one of these seasoned 20, 30 year old vets in this, this industry or anything like that. But it seems like when you get the people that are hesitant about force fetch or that kind of that mentality, my dog's a natural retriever. I shouldn't have to do it. It kind of stems from, and I'm not trying to offend anybody that kind of has that thought process, but it kind of stems from that they don't, they may not have a firm grasp or understanding of the entire program or that they're afraid that they're going to mess something up and maybe they're not in a position to where they're able or willing to go to a pro trainer to do it. And so they kind of just say, I don't need it. That's exactly what we've been dancing around the whole time. And I'm glad you, you brought that up is when someone says, I'm not going to force fetch my dog, I don't mean to offend anyone by this, but they don't really understand the force fetch process. And that's why we need to try to train ourselves to call it the trained retrieve or the finished retrieve is because, or just say retriever training. I asked a guy a couple (laughs) weeks ago, I said, are you going to force fetch your dog? Nope, I'm not going to do that. I said, okay, are you going to teach your dog to retrieve? Oh yeah, I'm going to do that. So I'm like, all right, well... (laughs) You know, it's just the wording, man. It's just the wording. You That's PC, all bro? you're doing is is <laughs> teaching your dog how to retrieve birds. UPC, bro. And there is sure, I guess <laughs> there's a there are corrections involved, but that's with any training. Yeah. So when someone says, "Oh no, I'm steering away from that," okay, well, are you not going to correct your dog with anything as well? Like, yeah. you got to correct your dog with any training. I mean, if you're going to teach him to sit then you got to enforce it if he doesn't. Or yeah. I, I guess you don't have to, but <laughs> if you want to be a decent dog owner, I think you should enforce things you're asking your dog to do. Right. And so before you get into force fetch and let's, this is kind of why we're doing the overview. So you understand this program before you really get into it and you're, you're, you've got a, you know, you're knee deep in some water saying, I don't know what, what's going on. We're, this is really why we're spending an episode on the overview before the, the how to, so to speak. Yep. So there are a couple of things that you have to have to be successful in this program. Okay. And in my opinion, the number one thing is the understanding of the why instead of the how the, the methods of how is very important in, in this program, especially, but the why we just covered a lot of, a lot of the why, but you, I'm going even deeper into why do we break out each step the way that we do, and it's to lead into the next step, and you're building a house from the ground up, and so if you don't understand and don't agree with one step, just understand that it's not just that one step. That step is in there so that the next step and the next three steps are playing off of it. So it may seem like that's stupid. I'm not doing that. It seems like a waste of time. I could just skip that. You could. It's your dog. It's free world. But when you when we get into all these steps that we do, you're going to 
you're gonna there's gonna be a natural point to where you're like do i really need to be doing this and it's yes you do yes yes just what's it gonna hurt yeah by skipping those steps or rushing through the steps that's when things become difficult and that's when the associated thing of like pulling your hair out doing force fetch that's when it comes to fruition because you tried to rush through something or you tried to rush to the next step if you do every step and make sure the dog got it and totally understands what each step is then the next step shouldn't be that hard yep and kind of going off that sentiment just know going in that this is not going to take one week I mean, I'm sure that there's a pro trainer out there that says that his program, to, he can knock it out in one week. I'm sure there is. But just understand, especially if this is your first time, this is going to take a while. This is not just a start and done, you're, you're finished. Just because your dog learned how to heal in two, three days does not mean that it's going to be able to pick this up in one week. I mean, it's the few dogs I've done, I've done it as quick as six weeks. I'm usually around the eight week mark and I don't like putting a timeline on that, but I'm saying that so that you have a firm understanding that you're talking about weeks, plural, and sometimes months, plural, depending on your dog, your understanding of the process, how consistent you are and how, just how the dog responds. Every dog is different. I spent 15 weeks teaching my dog to fetch and I had a move in there, so I moved from Virginia to Tennessee in the middle of that. So that was probably two weeks or so. Maybe. I mean, I still did it. On that. Like, I still, you know, moved stuff into the U-Haul all day and then got the dog out and worked. You know, it's it's five to ten minutes, uh, two or three sessions a day, I think, is what probably works best. So it's not like, oh, I'm moving. I can't train my dog. I mean, just go train him for a few minutes and then yep. put him up and keep moving stuff. So. Right. I, I spent a lot of time doing it. it. You know, our methods are a little bit different and uh, our dogs are different too. Every dog's different. Yeah. And so what you just touched on there is very important. The reason why it may take that long is short sessions. I'm talking five to 10 minutes. You don't have to put a stopwatch on it. You're going to be able right. to read the dog and depending on the step you're on, but short sessions. You should not be on the table doing this type of training because it's boring for you and it's going to get boring for the dog. It's going to get monotonous. So you should not be out there doing 30 to 45 minutes on the table every day. Here's where the art comes into this, this whole thing and and dog training in general is you don't want to set the stopwatch and say, it's got to be five to 10 minutes. Well, maybe after three minutes, your dog's picking up on what it is and you say, I'm going to stop and put the dog away, and I don't mean it has to go right back into a kennel or something. I'm going to take the dog back in the house or whatever. I'm done training, and maybe it's at like two to three minutes because the dog's figured it out, and you go, I'm going to stop now before the dog starts going downhill, and and we run into something bad because once that happens, you've got to finish on a good note. So if you hit your good note around two to three minutes, then... Put them away then. Yeah. And so it you're going to learn your dog as you go. You're not the first time you're up on the table, you're not going to know. But I'm telling you after a week, after 2 weeks, you're really you're going to start understanding your dog without even realizing that you're you're understanding the dog better. And so again, you kind of touch on it there for a second too. This is this should be a daily occurrence if you go into this program you should your goal should be getting out there every single day and doing at least one session and life gets in the way okay some days you're gonna miss i've missed a couple days here and there throughout the you know eight weeks that i did mine it's gonna happen but i would try i was trying to do a session in the morning before work and a session in the in the afternoon right after work and i did that most days occasionally life gets in the way you're married you got kids work whatever it gets in the way but as long as you're not letting that one day turn into two turn into four turn into oh you missed a week 
you want to knock this out. It's it, again, a, a lot of people that start this training, they kind of fall off because again, it can get monotonous. It can get frustrating, especially if you don't understand what you're leading into. And so instead of people just trying to figure it out, they'll kind of just get frustrated and be like, ah, I'll just come back to it again later. You're going to be starting all the way over again later. And the way I look at it is I want to get through it. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm plowing through it just for the sake of getting done. But when I'm up on that table, it's like, okay, we're on a mission. I'm knocking this out. So I don't have to come back to this table again later. Right. It's a very deliberate thing. I I did the same thing as far as uh, get a session in before work and then a session after work and m- maybe another session like after dinner before you go to bed, just a few minutes. I mean, it's key to understand that it's just a few minutes at a time. You're not you're not out there for a long time uh, just dragging it out. Right. And I know this is going to be confusing. What I'm about to say right now, you're going to have a lot of people say, what you just said? I'm going to try and explain this the best way I can. You want to go slow. You cannot go too fast. But you also can't go too slow. Okay. You're going to get up on that table and you're going to be on a step and that dog is going to take a while for that dog to, under, to get through a certain step. There's there's bumps in the road for everybody, depending on the dog on this program. You're going to hit one of those bumps. You're going to get over it. You're going to accomplish it. But then you are going to be drilling that because your dog finally accomplished it. And you're mentally just not going to want to go on to the next step because it's like my dog finally accomplished his step. And you're just going to be keep just sticking on the same step. There's been so many people that my dog was doing this great the past like for two weeks ago and the past two weeks it can't do it now. I'm like, because it's bored. It figured it out. You You needed to move on. And so. I know this is confusing. You're like, you just said go extremely slow, but now you're telling me that I need to speed up. It, it, this is where the audio format kind of gets a little hard to play because you're not seeing the dog in action. But there are some people that can really get hung up and go extremely way too slow. The safe bet is to tell everyone not to rush because I think most people have a tendency to go, <laughs> to oh, my dog gets yeah. it. I'm going to the next thing. Um, but yeah, if you find yourself doing the same step for like longer than a week, <laughs> something's going on. You know, either the dog didn't understand the previous step and now you're having a hard time transitioning to the next one or the dog got it and you should have moved on and you missed that opportunity. It's amazing to see what the dog was not happy about. Not that you're overpressuring them, but one step that they're like kind of looking like, I don't want to do this. And then when you move on, I, I always go back. So like when I'm, when I'm teaching a new step, yeah, I'll start out that session with the previous step on like, remember, this is what you do. Okay. Now here's this new step. I call that, to, I call that the confidence booster. Yeah. Every session I start <clears throat> off with the previous step and then you move on to the next step and we'll, and it builds them up. Right. And, and that's important too. Uh, so if you're if you find yourself struggling uh, with a new step, you can always kind of boost them up with what you yeah. call a confidence booster. Kind of right. go back a step, and not just for the dog. You kind of need that too. Again, it, a lot of people they look at me like, "Is there is it really that bad?" It, it may just be me, but this is some monotonous training. At, at first, you're like gung ho, you're excited, but after a few dogs, you're like, there's a reason why a lot of pro trainers don't want to fool with this anymore, and it's yeah. not because it's it's hard to do. It's just you're you're spending a lot of time on the table, and it's, it's actually just, I think it's really easy, and I think this is one is, of the things if you that, break it out enough. Yeah. So people, I don't have anything against pro trainers at all, but. People get this idea in their mind, I think, when they send their dog to a pro trainer, that that trainer is out like working with their dog for hours. If you send your dog to do force fetch, this is a generalized statement. So, you know, this is not what every pro trainer does, but a lot of times that dog is in a kennel. It comes out for five minutes before it goes right back. Pro trainer goes to work. (laughs) You know, he works with your dog for five minutes. He comes home. The dog gets another five minutes on 
you know, at the end of the day and, and that's it. And guess what? Like in a couple or a few months, yeah, your dog will pick up anything. Yep. It takes about 10 minutes a day <laughs> yeah. and you're giving that dude five, $600 a month. I mean, it's, it's five to 10 minutes a day. It's yeah. not that big of a deal. So with that being said, man, every pro trainer out there is going to hate me. Eh, yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, but again, it gets monotonous. And, and honestly, I found myself halfway through the program, I'm having to kind of pump myself up before the training session. Because if you go out there like, okay, let's go do some training, they're, your dog's going to pick up on that mentality and they're not going to be enthusiastic. They're not, they're, they're, you, you just need to stay positive and it, you remember the goal and remember the light at the end of the tunnel because I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I just, yeah, maybe not on your first dog. You know, the first dog, it's all brand new, but if you get to helping other people and the second dog, you're going to be like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's yeah. knock this out. Um, and then real quick, touch on it again. I mean, if, if you feel like you can't really commit to, to those short sessions, that consistency, reading your dog and everything, you need to go see the people that Adam just pissed off. Because yeah. And some people don't, I'm like, oh, it's only five or 10 minutes a day. Some people don't have five or 10 minutes a day that yeah. they can squeeze in. I would say wake, wake up five or 10 minutes early, <laughs> but I get what you're saying. I, I, I'm not, when people tell me they don't have time for it, I'm like, okay, it's just not a priority to yeah, me, which you just is don't fair. want to make time that, for it. Yeah, and that's, that's fine. fine yep. But be honest with yourself and don't just start this and then take it to a pro trainer for them to fix it. Be honest with yourself beforehand. And if you know that this is just the type of training or program that you you're you just don't have the mental makeup for, go to a pro trainer. They're or there you just for don't want to make the time for it. Right. But That's I guarantee fine. you the pro trainer, he's going to be happy that you brought it to him first before screwing it up and then bringing oh, the dog yeah. to him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So it's... That's the one thing I think pro trainers get a lot of problems. Well, I right. tried this... And I couldn't figure it out. So here, fix right. my problem. And, and so, they're not magicians, man. No, they're not. So, and so we're we're obviously advocates for people training their dogs themselves. That's the whole point of this podcast. But but there are certain things in this program. Just be honest with yourself and and go from there. If if you want to keep moving on, keep moving on. But uh, just be honest with yourself, and then that's that's really the mindset that that you need to have going into this program. And then after the mindset and kind of knowing what you're getting yourself into, there's, there's set up and tools that you're going to need for this. Okay. The first one obviously being the table and there's a few different tables. And when we say table, it's really just, I refer to it as the training area because I've seen people use tables. I've seen people use cabinets, which I guess, kind of the same thing as a table like i've seen the cabinet sitting on the floor just just countertop cabinets oh, okay. countertop okay. and then i've seen people use uh tailgates i've seen people literally just use the ground right um, i think the purpose of the table two things is number one you're not leaning over and hurting your back right and then number two it puts you kind of eye level with the dog yes uh not that you need to be like in the dog's face but <laughs> You know, you have a better idea of reading the dog if it's eye level with you. Well, and getting the dog just off the ground, it's going to yeah. pay more attention to you because yep. it's why well, I'm off the ground. It's, right. It's different. They're on the ground all day. Yeah. But. And from the dog's perspective, I think you are kind of in the dog's face. You know, all day you walk around and this dog is, you know, three to four feet away from you. And now it's eye level with you or just below eye level. That is kind of in your face it's like personal space right nick so <laughs> right now we're sitting we should be six feet apart but we're actually like three feet apart if i set <laughs> a foot away from you it would be like dude what are you doing get out my bubble get out of my bubble right <laughs> so you're kind of by putting the dog on a table you're getting in their bubble a little bit too right absolutely and so there's a few different tables um the navda table obviously it's it if you have the green book it explains to you how how to build that table you have ramps going up in each side you can you can heal and walk them up you have the flat section then you have another ramp on the other side 
you can use that. Uh, I my personal preference is just a, a regular build a tabletop, whether it's just a couple four by fours and a and a couple uh, sheets of plywood. Not a couple sheets. Not it's not that freaking big. It's I think mine is like two and a half feet by eight feet long or something yeah. like that. And then I have a cable going across, and the cable is huge for me just because it's essentially another hand for you. And so when, especially when you start getting in later on in the steps where if you're overlaying an e-collar or something like that, you kind of need the hand <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it just, it just kind of acts as a third hand for you. And so I prefer the cable. Do you have to have it? No, you don't. And, no. And, and like we said in the beginning, our methods are a little bit different. So like even the way we pinch the ears different, I put my hand, through the collar so it's like i've i've kind of got control that way whereas the cable hanging down to hold the dog in place via the collar is like is the way that you keep the dog in place right. so either way works you can do the non-cable table or you yeah hey that wrong cable table <laughs> yeah uh but yeah tailgate the the yard if you're gonna do the ground say you just don't have a table uh Again, you you can get creative and make your own table. Uh, I saw one dude, he had saw horses, and he had a spare door in his garage, and so he literally just threw the door up on top of the saw horses. I didn't really like that. My main thing is if you're going to use a table, make sure it's sturdy and safe for the dog. Yeah. But, hey, you know, it's it's That could make things very difficult if you're finally getting to, like, a breakthrough with the dog and it's understanding something and then your saw horses kick out (laughs) or... Just the fact that it's unsteady. He, he screwed it down, to, and, okay. it, and it was a flush door. It didn't have like That guy's fancy, listening to this. He's like, my table's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt he listens to any podcast, let alone ours. Yeah. But yeah, so if you're going to do the ground, what I would suggest is just make sure that you have a very specific area that you do it. You're not changing up the ground every time you go out there because while – each one of these steps there's steps down the road that you're gonna go out and do new areas new distractions and everything you want consistency in all these programs you want to know when the dog goes into this specific learning area that's what it's there to do it's it's to learn and to train and so if you're gonna do the ground have one specific area that you're gonna do it on that's just my suggestion if you're gonna do the ground I think for starting out, I think it makes sense uh, because dogs are very place oriented that when you go to that certain place, they understand, okay, I'm doing force fetch or whatever. Right. Um, And then eventually you do need to transition it away from that. Eventually you'll transition away from the table. Eventually, if you're not using the table, you're going to transition away from that specific spot on the ground too. So this next one, I know that uh, there's a lot of opinions out there on this one whether you should or shouldn't do it. I'm just going to tell you I do it. When it comes to training objects, I use everything. I don't just use a bumper. I don't just use a bird. I use everything. I want the dog to learn with every kind of texture, shape, weight, sound, sound, everything. And the reason why it's... A lot of the times when I hear this, it's like, my dog is here to retrieve birds. Why would I teach anything besides a a bird and maybe a bumper? Okay. You're training hard and testing easy. That's what it's about. Exactly. You're you're making the dog do something like carry a three-pound dumbbell or a five-pound dumbbell. And it's like, why on earth do I have to carry this five-pound dumbbell? Which, by the way, is not mistreating the dog. You've never shot a five-pound dumbbell in the world. There's Canada geese that weighed <laughs> about that. So, um, you know, the dog carrying something like that, well, then when it goes to retrieve a Canada goose or yeah. a quail, a quail is really easy if you can do yeah. a dumbbell. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of birds out there, different sizes, different weights doesn't even have to be waterfowl i mean if you're a quail hunter and then you you want to go on a once in a lifetime hunt and go hunt some sage grouse and you're retrieving a small turkey i mean you you need to have confidence and then also with these versatile dogs especially in the draught and german system that they retrieve fur i mean everything from squirrels to foxes and coyotes uh shed hunting it's literally everything And, and when 
people kind of, they don't laugh, but they're like, man, you really do use everything. I mean, my training bucket is full of a little bit of everything. I have everything from your basic bumper to a baseball, a softball, a bone, a hammer, a bigger mallet, firewood log, bigger firewood log, (laughs) uh, jugs, glass jars, beer cans. And it's funny like this is, you know, you always have those people that are like, my dog will retrieve a beer can. Oh, yeah. Okay. If you finish this program, it should retrieve a beer can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yep. so, I mean, really get creative. Don't do anything that's going to potentially hurt the dog or anything. Uh, but get creative. The more things that you can put and proof these dogs on, the better, in my opinion. And there's a sentiment out there, just birds. Hey, hey. Again, it's your dog. Uh, One thing that really comes in handy. Well, just birds. My argument to that would be why does a pitcher in baseball ever need to throw further than 60 feet, six inches? Yeah. Right? Yep. Well, for a few reasons. Train hard, test easy. Yeah. And like you said, you mentioned a dumbbell. Uh, The exchangeable dumbbells come in handy on this if you got the small weights and everything and over time you can build up you can start with just the handle and then you can add a two and a half pound plate and then a five pound plate or something it's it, you you have the ability to change that so that's a good one to have if, if you have that available um yeah it's it just get creative and uh it's you're you're limited by your imagination on this. And there are people out there that probably hear us talking about some of these items <laughs> and think that we are so cruel. The dog will try to convince you that you're so cruel. Like, why are you making me hold a 20 ounce water bottle full of gravel? You know, and they'll make you feel like, oh man, I'm mistreating my dog. Their head's lowered, their tail's tucked between their legs. Just hold it and carry it and walk around. Yeah. And pretty soon, it's they're not gonna, a big deal. They're going to carry be wha- that thing yeah. anywhere. And they're it, wagging their tail. After a couple of days of that object, they're going to yeah. be happy as heck to just put it. Yeah. Just carry it around. It's yeah. literally like a kid learning about vegetables. Like the first time they try broccoli, it's like, do I have to? Yes, you have yeah. to. We can argue about it, but we're not going to because yeah. I'm the parent. Just eat it. And then before you know it, they're like, oh, I love broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> So a couple of, we just mentioned the dumbbell, a couple other, uh, training objects that that's, um, recommended or suggestions or tips, whatever, uh, PVC pipe. I've seen people sand it down to where the dog can get a better grip on it. I've seen people put duct tape on it to where they get a better grip. Uh, we mentioned the dumbbells, but you can also get a dowel and make little dumbbell pieces out of wood on the end of it. Just kind of get it up off the surface. Yeah. And something uh, I've seen, uh, is, the like a dumbbell with only one side yeah. so it's got like a dowel rod on one side um kickstand so off balance yeah you know kickstand well that's what i use the mallet for essentially is that right you get an off balance right. item and then uh here's a big one and i know you're a big component of it is over this you don't need to know what it is going into this program you're going to naturally figure it out uh figure out what your dog does best with and the that's go-to your, and that's your go-to confidence booster bumper if you hit a snag or a bump in the road with your dog and you're and you just you can see that they're kind of getting frustrated like you are you just need that quick rep or two to build them back up you have that go-to bumper or object and every dog has it and it's different for every dog so don't ask me what what, what yeah. the go-to bumper is Figure it out for yourself with your own dog. And not to get too too deep into the details of it, because we're going to hit this the next time, but, you know, you still make the dog, let's say the 20-ounce water bottle full of gravel, which is not a huge deal, but let's say the dog is just like, I cannot hold this thing. You still make them hold it. And then once they've done it for half a second, and you go, okay, good enough, then you get that go-to bumper out that they're like, their tail immediately starts wagging and you build them back up. Yep. It's rewarding. That being said, there should be a uh, note to stay away from some objects, potentially for some, some uh, dogs. A lot of people will say that they actually don't want to use bumpers or birds because they, this kind of comes from the mentality. Like we were talking about earlier, people think that there's a lot more force in this program than what actually is. And so, 
they're afraid that with too much force, their dog might start shying away or blinking the bumpers and birds. And so that is one thing to consider, but I don't put too much stock in this because if you're going at this with the right mindset and building up slowly, then you shouldn't have an issue. But with that being said, if you have a slight concern over that, just wait until the end of each step or the end of the program to introduce the bumpers and birds. It's not that big of a deal. And a note about the birds, some dogs, mine included, go bird drunk. And when you put birds dead, frozen, live, whatever, on these tables at these individual steps, and this will make more sense when we get into those steps, they just they just go nuts. And, yeah. and you literally lose all structure of your training because all they can think about is bird scent from, from then on. And I had that issue with Lucy. So what I did is I actually took the birds out of the training objects until the very end of the program, and then I introduced birds. That's just something I did. You're going to get to know your dog, but after three or four sessions that just got ruined by me trying to introduce a, a dead bird or frozen bird at the end of it and she just went completely insane because she's was that driven for that bird i learned real quick okay i'm not getting any productive out of it so let me save this and come back to it later but that's that's something you're going to learn over time with your dog yeah i'm i'm a nerd and i keep a journal on uh, you know a lot of the dog training stuff that i do and i just looked back in my journal and uh, I did some stuff with frozen birds with hold and carry. And then the next time I did birds was like at the end of force fetch right. with, you know, a taped live bird and then, uh, a freshly killed bird, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, uh, that pretty much makes it up for your setup tools. There, there's another note about, um, your location, I kind of already touched on it. You're going to be training in the same location every day. Different steps are going to require you to go in different areas with different distractions, with different obstacles, yada, yada. Uh, we'll get into that more. And so really, let's uh, let's touch on the types of pressure so that you kind of know what each one it, what each one involves so that you can make up your mind. The first one is being the ear pinch. Adam already alluded to it earlier. He he uses kind of the collar mixed with the uh, ear pinch. One thing I do not condone, and I tell everybody as soon as they bring it up, if you're one of those people that uses a bottle cap or something with the ear, it, give me a break. You know, there there's a, there's a certain way to do this ear pinch to where you're not having to bring in outside objects yeah. to get the response from your dog. If you're having to use a bottle cap on the ear, I've seen it. It's rare, but there are dogs that don't respond to ear. Joe's dog, Jack, is yeah. that way. You know what? There's a thing called a toe hitch for that. You don't go get a bottle cap and start pinching the ear with a bottle cap to get the dog react. You change your method. Yeah. And when I use the collar, like a regular neck collar, I'm not putting the ear against like the, the brass nameplate on the collar. I'm just holding the collar with my hand and then putting the ear over my forefinger and my thumb on top of that. Yeah. So I have control with the collar. I have control of the dog. He's not slipping away from me and I can still pinch the ear. Yeah. And then I hear about some people saying, yeah, you got to put it on the brass nameplate. I guess some dogs, yeah, might need that, <laughs> but um, I, I can't imagine there's too many out there that need that much right. pressure. I mean, this is where like, you know, professionals do come in handy for the sake of like, Hey pro, how many dogs have you done this with? Yeah. How many of you had to lay their ear on the brass part? Right. Probably a very small number. And so with, with my ear pinch is I actually do most of my fingers are on the outside of the ear and there's this one little lobe right on the end. If you flip up your dog's ear, you're going to see it. It's, I mean, just looks like a little jelly bean right there. As soon as you touch it on most dogs, they're going to give the response that you need without having to, dig your fingernails into it without having to, you know, tickle their brain. Some people, you know, I've seen some people, I'm like, dude, take your finger out of that dog's head. <laughs> and Clinging their ears. Yeah. And so just learn your dog, figure out the bare minimum that you have to apply to get the reaction that you needed. You, you putting more pressure than, than's needed on the ear is not going to make this program 
easier. You're just adding extra pressure for no reason. I think it makes it harder if you're right. using more pressure than what the dog actually needs. I think it's going to make it harder. Right. And so, like I just mentioned, the toe hitch a second ago. The toe hitch, it's just this little picture of string tied up around the dog's forearm, up close by the elbow, kind of goes around the middle, middle uh, toes on his paw, and then you're holding the uh, the other end of the string up and you're going to be pulling on that string and the pressure that loop that goes around the the toes on the foot or the paw that's the pressure that's associated with that there are pros and cons to this does it seem like it's kind of less imposing than the ear sure okay but my issue with this is with the ear pinch, you can then apply that correction out in the field anywhere you are later on down the road. So, toe hitch, you can't do that. The toe hitch, you're kind of limited to doing the pressure in one spot, which is not that big of a deal, but then you're almost reliant on the e-collar for a field correction. Yeah, and I think the trying to overlay an e-collar with the, the toe hitch would be difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible. I don't have any experience with the toe hitch, but no, I mean, I know doing the e collar can overlay on either one, right? But doing the when you overlay the e collar on the ear pinch, like I literally had the the collar, like I described a few minutes yeah. ago, the e collar, uh, the handheld in my hand. So as I pinch the ear, I'm also pressing down on the button. So yeah. the the pressure, the timing is exact. pretty much perfect. And, and so would, with the toe hitch, yeah, it'd be yeah, hard to do that. Well, it, it's just you got to get used to it. And, and honestly, yeah. if you want to see uh, a good method on the toe hitch with overlaying the e collar, you can go check out Standing Stone Kennels. Ethan does a great video on doing the toe hitch and overlaying the e collar uh, with that method. Because if you do the toe hitch, and I mean, unless you're just completely averse to e collars, you're going to have to overlay the e collar for to be able to have a field correction later because you're not going to be able to go grab the dog by the toe and fix it in the field. You're going to have to have a form of pressure. And so the next pressure is e collar. I've heard and seen some people do the e collar from start to finish as the pressure. And I tend to just say overlay it. Do the pressure with everything else. Move to the e-collar later. But, you know, it's kind of like Ethan does that on his videos. He starts immediately with the e-collar and the toe hitch. It's, you know, if you only have the e-collar, it's, it's kind of you. I've never done it that way. Um, I've just heard of people doing it. It's, But my, my method is do the ear pinch, go all the way through the program, then go back and overlay the, the e-collar later. Yeah, that's interesting to to do the e collar from the get go. I'm sitting here thinking like, yeah, that could work. And my I'm literally thinking through <laughs> that process right now. Like you're, you're sitting here like, why did I even mess with the ear? <clears throat> well, I think <laughs> in a few seconds of thinking of it, I think that yeah. ear pinch is more personal than yeah. the e collar. So now you are communicating to the dog that right, this is coming directly from me. It's, it's up yeah. close and personal. Yeah, you, you better timing, more more reliability in your hand than you do an e collar. Yeah, uh, and then another slight nuance is like I didn't. I didn't go all the way to the end of force fetch and then come back and overlay it. I overlaid it each step or something. Uh, I was, you know, yeah. call it midway through. That's kind of like what I would consider one of the steps is like yeah. overlaying the e-collar. Yeah. We'll get into that though. Yeah. And so we would be remiss to say that there are plenty of people out there that saying that they do the finished retrieve or train to retrieve uh, without any pressure and it's a hundred percent positive. And yeah. I'm sure there's some out there. There are some are out there. Successful and too. I've talked to a couple of people that claim to do it. Uh, you know, uh, I've seen holes in the game compared to the regular force fetch program or whatever with the, with the pressure. And it's kind of like we were told by a pro trainer and, you know, very experienced guy recently that he was he was helping somebody kind of do it themselves and she wanted to do the 100% positive method and eventually she hit a snag and it's kind of like you paint yourself into this corner and there's really on only one way out of this corner and yeah. you praising that dog over and over and over again will it work for 
for the program, I'd say, in my opinion, probably 90, 95%, but there is going to be that, that time and that, that bump in the road that you're going to need that pressure. So I keep, I think a lot back to like parenting when I think about force fetch and there's, you know, big, just like there's a big debate with dog trainers amongst uh, about force fetch. Like some people are like, absolutely not. Just like with a kid. You can ask someone, do you spank your kids? Absolutely not. There's going to be a group of people out there that are like, no way I don't spank my kid. But you know what? They probably still raise their voice at their kid every once in a while. Bottom line is they provide consequences for their kids. So just like in parenting, my belief, and I would say that most people's belief is you have to provide some sort of consequence. Like there's an exception to that. There's some parent out there that doesn't provide any consequences to their kid. But most parents provide consequences to their kid. And a lot of them, it's not spanking their kids, but there's a consequence. So with force fetch, it's got to be consistent and they know that it's going to actually happen. You can't just communicate with your children through positive stuff only. Like at some point you have to raise your voice, provide some sort of consequence and go, that was bad. And here's the consequence. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's the same thing with these dogs. Like we can't only say good boy, good dog all the time. There has to be some sort of like communication of the dog that right. is, no, you didn't do what I asked you to do. Yep. Here's a consequence. Yep. Clicker only goes so far and it doesn't really work too well in a duck blind when the dog's 30 yards out trying to retrieve a duck. <laughs> uh, so almost done for this overview. Um, real quick, just touch on, while doing this program and the other types of training, do, am I only doing this on the table? Am I only doing force fetch? What I'm telling you, I do other training, not very much, but I don't do anything that revolves retrieving at all. Some people will say that you can do it and it's not an issue. I'm not going to argue with them. It's each their own on this one. I personally say if I'm spending this much time, energy, and effort teaching the retrieve and force fetch, why would I do something that involves the retrieve that I'm not reinforcing to the level that we're already trained up to? So I'll still go out. I'll do obedience. I'll do field work. I'll do birds even. I just don't allow the retrieve. Yeah, I I agree with that. I went into it being told, you know, you can still do some some fun retrieve type stuff. Just don't use the word fetch or whatever your command yeah. is going to be. Um, so I did that for a while and I'd let the dog just do fun retrieves. Some people actually use that as a way, a dog that really has a lot of fun retrieving as a way to like build them back up. Like we were talking yeah. about a little while ago with yeah. the, the go-to bumper. Um, but it got to the point with me that I was like, my dog's just going to go without these fun retrieves yeah. for like a few weeks. And then when we're done, he can retrieve things. Yeah. Now that we're done with it, if my kids go into the backyard and throw something for the dog, not a big deal. He's not going to come in, hold the bumper, swing into heel and hold it there until they reach down and say out or give or whatever your command is. He's going to bring it back and be like, all right, throw it again, throw yeah, it again. Let's go. He knows it's a game. Yeah. If I throw something for him, he's coming in. He's going to swing around yeah. to heel. It's, you know, he yeah. knows that it's still a game, but oh, there's, there's an rules. expectation. Yep, yep. There's an expectation. So that's just our take. Other people, they still do fun retrieves and, and all that fun stuff. So really that's up to you. But we hope that this kind of gave you guys a clear overview of, of force fetch and kind of the decisions and, considerations that you need to give before deciding to do this program and it's a lot of information that i wish somebody would have taken the time to break down to me before i did my first dog and that's really what this is all about is trying to put some information out there whether you agree with us whether you think we're just full of bs um completely different method whatever we're just trying to put out some information that we have learned over the years through through school of hard knocks almost yeah and uh so we hope that this helps you out and unless you have anything else on this overview we're going to come back with you next week on actual individual steps and in our methods and kind of close this force fetch topic out yeah if you're one of the more experienced uh handlers and you've force fetched a few dogs 
thanks for listening this far to this episode. (laughs) You guys have a good night. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.